Lord Jesus, we are gathered together here this morning in your name. We are here for you. We are drawing near to you. And we thank you that you say in your word that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so it's with expectation that we have come here this morning to meet with you. We're not here, Lord, to hear and receive more knowledge. That just puffs up, um, but it never transforms. We are here to touch you. We are here to meet with you. We are here, Lord, because we want to be transformed into your image and according to your likeness. And so I pray that the words that I speak this morning will be the words that you want to speak to us. Everything that is not of you, I pray that it will fall to the ground. But everything, Lord, and every word that is from you, I pray that it will penetrate hearts this morning. We need to be touched in a deep way, Lord, in order to change. And we know that you are the only one that can do that. So we humbly come before you this morning. We lay our lives before you. We open ourselves up to you. We pray, Lord, that you will touch us, that you will change us, that you will transform us into the design that you've had in mind all along. So we commit ourselves to you in this time. We pray your blessing and your hand upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, um, we are still in Daniel. Um, I'm supposed to preach on Daniel 4 this morning. Um, I've tried to work something out around Daniel 4, tried to get stuff that's in there. But I'm not a teacher. So I don't see the stuff that Matt sees and that um, Glenn sees. So you guys are going to have to plug the holes and uh, mop up after me as I go along. Um, I will bring in Daniel 4, um, but I'm going to try and share with you what's on my heart and hopefully what's on the Lord's heart, otherwise I wouldn't have been standing here. So um, we've been majoring on gifts in liberty uh, this past number of months, years, so I'm going to try and be true to my gifting. Um, I'm a big picture guy, and then I'm a guy who tries to understand design and process. My engineer friend will resonate with that. If you understand design and process, if you understand the processes that drives a certain design, um, you, can bring that, you can bring that thing to maturity and to maximize its potential. So I will start from the beginning I'm going to go to Genesis 1, and then we'll move to Revelations 22. If we, f if we start at the beginning of the divine revelation, and we take the end of the divine revelation, we, there's a very, very clear picture of exactly what we are doing here and where we are going. So the existential question is, where do you come from? What are you doing here? And where are you going? And the Bible is very clear on that. And I would like to focus um, this morning on design first, 
I'm going to get that from Genesis 1 and Revelation 22. And then we're going to move to the drivers, the processes, the principles that undergirds and that um, drives this certain design. And I'm going to get that from the life of Daniel and his friends. And we, of course, going to get it from the life of Jesus, the, the perfect Daniel, the higher Daniel, our perfect example. And I am surprised as to how clear the scriptures are around those things. So I would like to share that with you um, this morning. All right, so let's start with the beginning. Um, I would like for you guys to follow in your, in your Bibles, either in your Bible app or in your carbon copy. So could you please turn with me to Genesis 1. Let's start at the beginning. Genesis 1 verse 26. <clears throat> this is eternity past. And by the way, this is where all of us are coming from. Eternity past. You just entered into this world on your birthday. That's not your origin. That's not where you, where, you, where you were thought up in the mind of God. You were created before the foundations of the world, the Word says. Even as you were called to walk holy, uh, holy and blameless before Him. That is a very high, exalted thought. But we're going to go back to eternity past, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over all the earth. I've skipped the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, livestock on, 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 the, on the surface of the earth. Over all the earth, let them have dominion. So this is the beginning. This is the design. Let us make man in our image. This is the tripart God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he creates you and me. In his image. We also tripart man. We've got we, we spirit, we soul, and we are body. I'm going to go in, in a bit more depth into, into those three things. But the point I want to make here is that God created us in his image and after his likeness. And he commissioned us to have dominion over all the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Sounds like this is a corporate thing, not just the individual thing. And God blessed them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. You can, you can try and work all kinds of other Hebrew and Greek things into it, but subdue means subdue. It means take charge of. It means have dominion over. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's very clear. I'm sure you will agree. So let's go to um, Revelations 22. 
and you will see this same theme. Revelations 22, what verse is it? It's towards the end of Revelations 22. Um, I can't see the verse here now. Right at the end, verse looks like verse 5, verse 3. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's towards the end of Revelations 22. Is that right, man? 22 verse 1. Okay. Through the middle of the street of the city. So we started off in a garden. Looks like we end off in a city of some sort. Also on the, other side, on the other side of the river, the tree of life. Remember the tree of life in the garden? Here's the tree of life again in this, in this city. With its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. So there's a curse that came in somewhere along the way. And we're going to stand, we're going to focus on that uh, today, but I just wanted to paint you the picture from the beginning and the picture at the end. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. How will his servants worship him? By reigning with him forever and ever. Yes, guys, this is, this is incredible. So, so we have been destined from day one, created in God's image and according to his likeness, to rule and reign with Him in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. <laughs> that is massive. That is, that is so, so huge. I'm going to quote, uh, you know, I was thinking about my favorite authors. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And I thought I'm going to have to work in something of C.S. Lewis in my preach. It's, no, it's nowhere here, but I think this is a good, a good place. And when you, and when you look at, and when you look at the, the, the saints of the, of, of, of the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, they saw something that I don't think we're seeing. How can Paul say, I count everything else as absolute rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What did he see? What compelled him like that? If I look at my own life, it's kind of a bit of a, I get, kind of get stuck in the week, you know. And it doesn't always feel like I'm, you know, I'm living this dominion mandate out. But these guys, these guys saw something that enabled them to put everything else aside, to count it as absolute rubbish compared to the surpassing worth, this, this, this pearl of great price that they saw. C.S. Lewis um, said this, 
if we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels, and you, and you can read that, that's always the overcomers get, gets rewarded the whole, the whole time. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on, insists on, making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. And then this, then this sentence, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. It's okay for us just to carry on like this, day in and day out. Since we've been called to something much greater, some of us, I don't know if all of us, and, and I, I submit this to you, this is, I, don't, I don't have this figured out, but there is a very specific theme in the word that speaks about overcomers that will rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. And C.S. Lewis is saying that if you lift your vision high enough, if you see the essence of what you've been called to do, what the invitation is from God, you will count everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of chasing after that thing. I mean, Paul, Paul said, you know, he said he's like a trained athlete, like a professional athlete. He doesn't stuff around. He buffets his body into submission. He says, I'm like a boxer. I don't beat the air. I go for first prize. So there's this, there's this focus. There's this discipline. There's this going with everything that's in him to attain this pull of great price, to attain the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I think, that, I think they saw something of, of the original design. They, they saw something of where we are all heading and they and they set their eyes on this eternal goal they count everything else as rubbish and they just go for this with everything that's in them so two things i want to talk about this morning the one is design and the other one is the process or the principles that helps us live out that design fulfill that design bring it to completion all right, so we've started off with, with design in Genesis 1 and in Revelations 22. I hope it is clear to you that the call upon your life is to rule and to reign with God and Christ forever and ever. So what happened, what happened in the middle part? All right, so we're still with design. We know what we've been called to do, what we've been designed to do. But something obviously went wrong because, I don't know about you, but I don't quite experience ruling and reigning in my everyday life. I experience glimpses of it, but I'm careful to say more often than not, it's getting better. There's definitely growth, so you can, you can see that. But there's, there's not enough. There's not enough 
parts of my life where I feel the kingdom of heaven, of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is a genuine reality. In my relationship with my wife and with my kids, in my relationships at work, in my relationships with you guys, there are glimpses of that, but I want more of it. In fact, I want all of it. And, 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 and this is exactly what Lewis said. He said, God doesn't find our desires too strong, but too weak. And I'm, I want to I wanna encourage you, I want to charge you up this morning to desire a greater thing. To see that pearl of great price. To see that treasure hidden in a field that you are willing to sell everything for in order to buy this thing, in order to get this thing, to take hold of it. And, and we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of principles that will that'll take us there. It's unfortunately not a once-off thing. It's a process. Okay, we need to understand the process. Right, back to, um, back to reality. Back to here and now. What went, what went wrong between Genesis 1 and Revelations 22? We all know what went wrong. We were disobedient. Our Creator is righteous and disobedience needs to be punished. We lost the dominion mandate. We got tricked by a demon-infested snake to give away our birthright. We got tricked into it. We were supposed to rule over that thing. And then we started negotiating with him. And you know, whenever the devil speaks, he is lying. He's busy deceiving. He's busy conniving. The end of that process was that we sold our birthright. God said that we could have of all the trees that's in the garden, we could partake of. We can eat of that. Just one tree tree of the knowledge of good and evil don't go near that thing don't even touch it because the day you do you will die and what did the snake say what did the the adversary the enemy say he said no god is god is a spoil sport he's keeping stuff from you he doesn't have your best interest at heart you should really eat that thing as well there's there's something that he's keeping away from you that was a lie from the pit of hell. Unfortunately, we swallowed that. And the result was spiritual death. We used to walk with God in the cool of the day. We used to have fellowship with Him. We used to chat to Him. And then the fall. <laughs> and we lost it all. But praise God, He is gracious and merciful. And He made a solution. He was the solution. God became a man. The man we call Christ Jesus. The God-man. Who came to reconcile us back to God. Back to Eden. Back to the original intent. And this God, um, 
This God-man is also called the Lamb of God. And he was slaughtered for me and you. He died upon a cross. We were supposed to be on that cross. I was supposed to be there. You were supposed to be there. He took it for us. He was slaughtered for me and for you. And he ransomed for God a people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And brought them back. Made them a kingdom of priests. Unto God. And then it says, and they will rule and reign with him forever. So the God-man Christ Jesus, by dying on the cross, he paid the price for our disobedience so that we can be reconciled back to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. If it wasn't for that, we would have been in real trouble. This Britney thing where... Okay, so, so what I wanted to say is, you know, why isn't it sudden? I, I would have thought now, if, if Christ died for our sins, it would have been a sudden comeback. We would have been back in the garden and things were, things were back on track again. It's not like that, unfortunately. The kingdom has, has come through Jesus Christ. Um, the fancy word is, it's been inaugurated but it hasn't consummated yet. So it's, it, it got started. It, it's like a seed that was planted for the restoration to go all the way back to Eden. But we are in that process. We are in that there's a continuum, and obviously we're, we're stuck in time, so it feels like... Uh, it's actually not that long a time, but we are in the process of being restored completely back to Eden again. So in essence, uh, we are now in the process of training. We are training for reigning. The mandate and the design and the intent in God's heart is still exactly the same as it was in Genesis 1 and in Revelations 22. We are in a process of training for reigning. We are building a beachhead for the kingdom. This whole thing will be wrapped up and be consummated when this God-man, Jesus Christ, who died 2,000 years ago for, 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 for my sins and for yours, and that we believed into, when he comes back, that's the end of it. That's the full circle. We're back, back to Eden, ruling and reigning with Christ forever and ever. And that's the thing that we need to set our eyes and our sights on. We need to see that vision of where we're going. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now sitting on the right hand of God the Father. You can see that process even in Jesus' life. Okay, he wasn't born on the right hand of God the Father. He was born as a baby in a manger, in a very, very lowly position. But then you can see the progression over time to the point where he was given the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That is ruling and reigning in life. That's the prime example of what we've all been called to do. That's glorious. That's a glorious hope in the future. 
I'll read from Romans 5, verse, verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, that's the old Adam, it's you and me, death reigned through that one man. Because of Adam, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive, receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We have been called to reign in life through Jesus Christ. So think of different areas of your life. Think of your relationship with your wife and your kids. Think of your relationship with God. Maybe you should start there. Think of your relationships at work. What are the areas in your life where you feel that you, there's not a ruling and a reigning in a, in a true sense? You haven't opened that up to God's dominion, to his lordship just yet. And as I, as I, as I continue with this preach, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will show you those places, will pinpoint them so that we can deal with these things this morning. This is your time. This is the day that the Lord has given each one of us to allow the life of God to come into those dark places, those hooks and crannies that you really don't want to go to either. To fill that with life and with light so we can fulfill our dominion mandate. We're going to give a chance for that later in the, in the preach. All right, guys, I'm, I'm done with the design part, so I hope you, hope you see the picture. Call to rule and reign in life. Right, now the process. So what are the, what are the, what's the process? What's the, what are the principles that, that makes for, for this, that, that, that makes this a reality in our lives? We don't, we're, not, we're not interested in theory. We want reality. We want to see it at play we want to see it and experience it in our everyday life. So the examples that we're going to use is Daniel and his friends and Jesus. We are nearly halfway through Daniel. And I would like to recap quickly on Daniel 1, 2, 3. Not 1, 1 2, 3, I suppose. Yeah. And then go through Daniel 4 and glean some spiritual insights and understanding from what Daniel and his friends did that made them these spiritual giants and enabled them to reign and rule in life. You will agree with me, if you look at those guys, if you look at Daniel and his friends, that's impressive. That is very impressive. To be in precious situations like that and stay calm and collected I mean, you need, you need some weight in the spirit to tell Nebuchadnezzar, you want to throw me in the furnace, you go right ahead. The, the God that I serve is very much able to rescue me from this, but even if he decides not to, let it be known to you, O king, that I worship God and him alone. I will not bow down to this idol. You've got to have a lot of guts to say that your life is on the line and this guy is not stuffing around. He's going to have you burned. What, do you, what, what brings that kind of weight? What brings that kind of authority to stand up to a guy like that and say, 
O King. You know, I mean, the respect and, um, and just the humility of these guys are, are, are just something to look up to. I will not, O King, bow down to these idols. If you toss me in the fire, you go for it. So that's what I'm after, is what are the principles, what are the, what's the process that these guys went through that gave them that kind of a spiritual authority and weight in the spirit. Daniel 1, just a quick recap, um, starts with Daniel and his friends carried into exile. Um, Babylon obviously wasn't their, it wasn't their homeland, they got carried away from from Israel, and it sounds a lot like Adam, eh? It's like Adam was cast out of out of Eden. It sounds a bit like like us. I mean, to, I mean, that's what the scriptures say, is that we are exiles, we are sojourners, we are aliens. It describes us as. This is not our homeland. This is not where we came from. We going back to where we came from, to rule and to reign with Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth. This, this, what we're experiencing now, is, is a foreign country. No wonder you're not comfortable here. If you do get comfortable here, you should really worry. This is, this is not our homeland. Don't get comfortable here, and don't expect it to be easy. If you're in hostile territory, you don't expect it to be easy. You expect a war. And I'm sure you all agree with me, that's what we've got. You've got a war on your hands. Most of it is internal. It's this warring of the spirit and the flesh, it says, and Paul says it. But you've got a war on your hands. So don't be surprised by that. Okay, so they went into they went into exile in Babylon. Um very much countercultural. They refused to defile themselves with the rich food and the wine from the king's table. Stuck to f- vegetables and water. Enough. Maybe that's a principle. If we want to walk in spiritual authority, we've got to go back to water and vegetables. Heresy! <laughs> After a while, they were tested and found ten times more wisdom and understanding than the rest of the magicians. So from obedience to God, and this is just a deep conviction of these guys, God blesses that. There most certainly is cause and effect there. If you're obedient to the voice of the Spirit, if you're obedient to what God has called you to, there's, there's blessing. There is most certainly reward. But I'm, I'm still behind what, how come young guys like that taken from exile out of, out of Judah, out of Israel. How come they have that kind of a resolve so early on in their lives? They're still young, they're still young men. Um, and I think what landed with me a couple of weeks ago with Michiel and Monique preaching on um, uh, bringing up godly children, godly offspring, I think, I think that's a key here. The, these guys, when they arrived there, they had a solid foundation already. Um, they spoke about uh, King Josiah. Josiah was a godly king of Judah. 
And he brought back um, the book of the law. He brought back all kinds of other um, practices and reestablished uh, the Jewish people in many of the, of the practices that uh, was given to them in the law. Passover, Passover being one of them that we are currently celebrating. So first, first principle there, godly upbringing. There's definitely something to be said for children that grow up in the ways of the Lord. And, and us as parents, we most certainly have that responsibility before God to lay a solid foundation for these kids to eventually rule and reign in life. It's not, it's not always like that, unfortunately, but most certainly a, a principle that I see here. Daniel 2, um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Um, he wanted his wise men to tell him the dream and lay it out to him or else they die. How's, how's that? You've got to tell me what I dreamt, and you've got to tell me what exactly that means, otherwise I kill you. And what a psycho. Um, but Daniel and his friends were up to that. So Daniel tells, so, so he sends out this, this officer, uh, Nebuchadnezzar does, to go and kill the magicians, because no one can come up with what he actually dreamt. And obviously not a layout of what he dreamt. So he sends them out and says, go, go chop their heads off. And this guy arrives um, with Daniel and his friends. And he says to them, just, just one, one moment. Just rock for me rustig. And he says that um, he wants him to give them a time for, um, for community and for fellowship. He says... Give them a moment to, that he shares with his, with his friends. He, he says, I just want to share this with my friends, and then I'll come back to you in a, in a period of time. And in that time, Daniel went to his friends. They, they got together, and they prayed. It's the obvious thing to do. They prayed to God and asked the Lord to show them what exactly is this dream that Nebuchadnezzar ha had, and also to give them the, the explanation for it the, layout of this of this dream and so they do that um, and they get honored and promoted so from daniel one godly upbringing from daniel two community and fellowship michael just had the the life groups up here community and fellowship crucial prayer crucial guys prayer is the most incredible gift that we were given we are in prayer communing talking to our creator the one that i just read about saying when god said let us create man th that same god the creator of the heavens and the earth your creator your designer the one who brought you into existence you can you can talk to him and he wants you to call him father he wants to draw you in and communicate his heart and his desires to you and his eternal plans and purpose to you through his divine word that is hectic that is that's off the charts the stats say that 85% of us don't have much of a prayer life how the heck does that work I'm, I'm sure we've been it's again that same old serpent he must be smokling with our heads. 
I mean, it is, it is just an incredible privilege, and yet we do that so few times and so little times. These guys had an incredible prayer life. They had incredible discipline around prayer. And in Daniel 6, uh, which will come later in the, in the series, we learn about Daniel praying three times a day, as was his custom. So when the pauper hits the fan, that's what he just keeps on doing. He's in that, he's in that rhythm already. So I think a, a very critical um, spiritual insight into the process that makes for ruling and reigning in life. All right, um, Daniel 3, as I already mentioned, about, uh, about the, the fiery furnace. So, so this psychomaniac, Nebuchadnezzar, makes an image of himself, a huge thing, like 12 meters or so high. And he expects everyone to bow down before it. Um, Daniel, that's not actually Daniel. His three friends refuses to do that. He tosses them into the fire, but there's a fourth man in the fire. And so the Lord goes with us through the fire and through the, through the persecutions. And one point that I made here, a question mark here, is this necessary? Is this a necessary part of the process to get us to this point of spiritual weight so that we can rule and reign in life? Is going through the furnace part and parcel of that process? Yes, saints, it is. It is. It's the Narnian door. It's the way through. It's not something to be shunned. It's not something to be um, resisted. It's actually something to be embraced. Now, I'm not going to put myself in the fiery furnace. I'll... But there's enough happening in your life every day that will put you in the fiery furnace. And all I'm saying is, don't pray and ask God to deliver you from that prematurely. Ask that He will be with you and that you will experience Him in the fiery furnace. The fourth man in the fire. That's the, I mean, if you walk out of that situation and your clothes don't even smell, that is, that is weight, that is authority that will catapult you in your way going forward. So think differently of, of persecution and, and tough times. Okay, how am I doing for time? Already? Okay, thank you, Glenn. Sorry, guys, I've, I've lost track. All right, um, we, are, we are in Daniel 4. <laughs> this is supposed to be my preach. <laughs> Okay, so, so Nebuchadnezzar has a, has a dream again of this huge tree in the middle of the, of, of, of the, of the earth. Um, this tree is, is massive and it's got branches, it's got fruit, it's got beautiful leaves, and it's, um, it's giving food and shelter to all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. But then he sees this vision of an angel, or what did they call it? Um, the watchers. Uh, 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 the decision, the decree of the watchers, the verdict declared by the holy ones. So, so let's, I don't know if it's an angel, angel or whatever. But it says that this tree needs to be chopped down and its branches needs to be lobbed off 
Its leaves needs to be stripped and the fruit scattered. And he doesn't know what it means. <laughs> what do you think it means? And so, and so it says after, okay, so obviously now he's again perplexed and he wants to know what's, what's going on. And so he brings Daniel in again. Daniel's done this before. And so Daniel says to him that actually you're the tree and you're going to get chopped down. You're going to get cut down to size. But the Lord isn't going to annihilate you completely. He's going to leave a stump and you will make a comeback again. Um, but you're going to lose your mind first. You're going to become like an animal and you're going to eat the grass of the field um, and the dew of the heavens will fall upon you and your nails will become like claws and like an eagle's. And not, a, not a pretty picture. And so he walks away from that, whatever. And like 12 months later, it says, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, verse 30 of chapter 4. And the king, this is 12 months later, you would have thought, oh my goodness, sackcloth and ashes, this is, this is nach. No, he just carries on. The king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built by the might of my power as a royal residence for the glory of, of my majesty? How's that? That's crazy. And so, so shortly after that, uh, while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven and it decreed, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that the kingdom has departed from you. Okay, so he becomes like a beast of the field. Um, I think it said seven periods of seven had to pass before he was restored. And, and this to me is just amazing. Verse 36, at the same time, my, this is him speaking now. So, so he was supposedly in his right mind and then became insane. But actually, actually it was opposite the way. He was insane to start off with. And then his mind was restored, if you think about it. At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. And I was restored to my throne and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the God of heaven. For all his works are true and all his ways are just. Saints, the Lord's work in your life is true, and his ways are just. Don't worry when you go through the fire. He knows what you're going through. He is your ultimate coach. All of those things are father faulted. He knows what you need to go through. He's busy teeing you up for ruling and reigning. Come to your right mind about these things. Think rightly about these things. Okay. Um, I, I just want to end off with Jesus and then I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to... I think I wanted to sum up all the principles, but I think I'm way too, too far down the road. So just one last word on Jesus. We're talking about principles and, and the process here. So we've looked at Daniel and his friends. We've gleaned some stuff from that. This... I just have to share this with you. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11. If you can maybe turn in your, in your Bibles to that quickly, please. This is, this is incredible. It was in front of my eyes the whole time and I missed it. I don't want you to miss it. Philippians 2, verse 5. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We were just talking about Nebuchadnezzar being restored to his right mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mindset. This is right thinking right here. Leicester Moy. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Another way of saying it, that he didn't count equality with God something to be held on to. Okay? Didn't hold on to that. That was his position. All right? You're in my position as, as sons and daughters of God. That's, that's the starting point, and it is a critical starting point. But don't, don't hold on to that. That's not the way you're going to rule and reign in life. It's the start of a process. Verse 7, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the process. He didn't count equality with God something to be held on to. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave. Servanthood is the way to greatness. It's not what you get, it's what you give. Servanthood is the way to greatness. Being born in the likeness of men, and he, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point even death, to the point of death, even on the cross. The cross is the way through. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Because whoever wants to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The cross is the way through, guys, towards spiritual authority, towards ruling and reigning with life. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There is the authority. But he grew in that. There was a positional authority up front, but there was an earned authority that came during his life. And he lived a life of humble obedience. Not, your, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. You, you saw that throughout his whole life. And you see it in the lives of Daniel and his, and his friends as well. Humble obedience leads to this weightiness in spirit, this authority that we need to rule and reign in life. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's the same language of Genesis. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the end goal. The Father is glorified when you and I rule and reign in life. Let's submit ourselves to that process. Let's ask the Lord to show us the, the process, the principles. And let's walk in humble obedience. Amen. That's it. I just want to, just want to, sorry guys, um, two more minutes. I just want to give my wife a, a, a quick chance. Um, she shared with me, um, you're going to have to, why is I mic? Can they both work together? Um, she shared with me um, a, a student of hers that created this amazing artwork. And she, she talked me through the process and I thought, my goodness. You've got, to, you've got to share this this morning. This, my whole thing was about, about the process, how we get there. And I think sh I would just like to, for Aini just to share something quickly about, about that, and then we're done. Okay, so a month ago, um, a guy came. He's 17 years old. He's never done uh, a realistic drawing in his life, and he's leaving the country in, um, in one term. And he said, please, can you teach me how to draw? 
and he gave me time. I said, you'll have to give me time. And so in one week, it was a small drawing, but in one week, with 13 hours, I was able to coach a guy who's never drawn before, he's doodled before, and he was able to do this. And that is because I've taken many, many, many students through this process before, and there's a couple of things that Hannes just wanted me to share that'll maybe just land this message in a practical way. So first of all, he gave me time. I told him, you have to give me at least, we thought about 16 hours, but that's what I need to coach you through it. He was cool. He trusted me. He trusted me implicitly because he saw what, he, what, I, what I did, and I showed, I told him, I've taken a class of 200 kids that I had to take art for before with, who was, I mean, 85% of them didn't even want to be in my class, but I've, I know that every single one is able to do it. So he trusted my judgment of him. Um, and then he stuck with me as a coach. I was next to him the whole time. I guided him um, when he got stuck, when he felt overwhelmed, I was just there coaching him through it. Um, then um, I divided this drawing up into small parts. And that was the trick when I had to teach um, kids way back. Because I realized we don't have an idea of what God is actually creating. He's busy with this masterpiece. And you are a small little part of a whole collective that he's putting together. But you don't actually know the magnitude of it. And so I couldn't teach these kids. The moment they understood that I was asking them to do a face, they were like, I can't do a face. So I had to get their minds out of the way and just take it one little small block at a time. And that's the only thing I asked them to do is just do that block. And so God has divided your life into seasons, into weeks, into minutes. And he's just asking you to do that one block. It was to their advantage that they didn't know he, how it was all going to fit together. Some of the blocks is very difficult, some is very easy, but get your mind out of the way and just find that person in every single little block that he's put before you. I made it do in groups, so there were 30 kids all feeling pretty much out of it, and we did it boot camp style. You are putting 10, you give me 10 minutes of drawing, I'm giving you a break. So the group dynamic was absolutely crucial because we just don't know what we are capable of. But when we ex do it together in a group, you see your buddy next to you sit, you sit. <laughs> and so we push through together as a group. Um, and then it takes intentionality and hard work. There is no way around it. It's not gonna fall out of the ground. And if um, I can get a student to do one block I can help them calculate how all these blocks are going to fit together. And I think sometimes I've had to look for coaches and mentors that can help me just take this one next small little block. Um, and I've always just um, put myself in the place where someone mentor me through this block or this season because I know somehow it's going to fit into the bigger picture. And then I just want to say, I just felt that God wanted to say that it is for every one of us. Every one of the 200 grade eights that I gave this project to, every one of them, when they put that drawing together, I cannot explain to you the excitement and the joy because they never thought it was possible. And once they realized that they're capable of this big a little artwork, I could get them to 
to just expand and expand. And I just felt that God was saying, it is not the dispensation of Moses and Daniel where his spirit rests upon individuals. He died so that he could pour himself into us so that every single one of us now is part of that bigger artwork. Okay, so, so, so we're done, I, I think. <laughs> Ranti, okay, you can take a short break and then we'll be back. Um, guys, I, I honestly, I think what Ani said there is so, is so true. Um, we, we, we all gifted differently, okay? You're not, maybe you're not Moses that goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go or else, or hell will break loose. If, if you're that guy, then, then great, but most of us, we, we, we haven't been called to, to that kind of thing. But the principle is the same. It's, it's about faithfulness in the small things. It's about faithfulness in your gifting, stewarding that faithfully and your reward will be as great as the guy who's got this amount of of of, of giftedness you, you know billy graham i'm a billy graham convert i was in a trick i was my life was uh, falling apart sitting with a glass of wine on a sunday afternoon and just checked it and and he actually did the preach and i got and i got saved and he said at the end of his life to some of the people that was on his team they never saw the spotlight. No one even knows who they are. They said, many of you here in this room will have a greater reward than what I will have in heaven. And they said, how come? And he said, because you've been more faithful in stewarding your gift than what I have been. Wow. So this, this really is for all of us. And if there's any one of you that, that feels that you just, you just need prayer, you just need someone to agree with you, maybe for an area of your life where you need the Lord to, to really come in and where you need to experience Him in His ruling and reigning power, then please come forward afterwards and we would love to just, just pray with you. Moi, moi, moi. Thanks, Hannes. So I think um, just to end off, I'd have to pray for us. Um, I think there's a phrase from Daniel 4 which says, When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I think for us, if we're going to walk out a week of walking in the will of the Lord, it requires us actually recognizing that He's above, and we are here to walk in obedience to everything that He, that he has to say to us. And exactly what Hannes is saying, it's not about Billy Graham with more converts. It's about us going, Lord, what is, the, what is it that you have for me? And so when we look to Him, our reason returns. We, we actually begin to then understand what life is really about. When we start trying to build our own little empires, when we start trying to look at this amazing land that I have created, that's when our reason actually leaves us. It's when we look to God and reestablish Him on the throne is when reason, reason returns to us. And so God, as we go forth in this week, um, I just pray that you would help us to lift our eyes to you, that we would make sense of the struggles we're going through, that, you would, that we would make sense of the suffering that we're going through, um, disappointments that haven't worked out our way. Uh, these little empires and plans and financial uh, wealth that we'd planned to have at a specific time in our life and hasn't panned out, would we lift our eyes again and have our reason return to us? It is not about the suffering. It is not about the financial wealth. It is about walking in obedience to you and having you established upon the throne of our lives. Help us this week to walk with that posture, with our eyes up to heaven. And we can only do that by your spirit. And so I ask that your spirit would be upon us this week, that we would look to you and that our reason would return. We love you, Lord.
And we do all that we do for your great glory. Amen.